0: I pray that as we look together into God's word that you too will be enriched and I pray that you will be challenged to be changed by our God. Because we all need change, don't we? We do. Let's read from the book of Luke chapter 11 verses 37 to 54. Luke chapter 11 verse 37 to 54. I'd encourage you to follow in your Bibles. If you've got a Bible here, follow in the text. And when I make references in Scripture, I put them up on the overhead as well. Let's just look at those. Let's look them up. You need to check me, because I'm only fallible like you. And so let's see what God's Word says to us this morning. Luke chapter 11, verse 37 to 54. And as Jesus spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and sat down to eat. And when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that Jesus had not first washed before dinner. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Foolish ones! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But rather give alms of such things as you have. Then indeed all things are clean to you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Woe to you Pharisees, For you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like graves which are not seen, and the men who walk over them are not aware of them. Then one of the lawyers answered and said to Jesus, Teacher, by saying these things you reproach us also. But Jesus said, Woe to you also, you lawyers! For you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. In fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore, the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute that the blood of all the prophets which were shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the temple. Yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, And those who were entering in, you hindered. And as he said these things to them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to assail him vehemently and to cross-examine him about many things, lying in wait for him and seeking to catch him in something he might say that they might accuse him. It's quite a graphic passage this, this morning. Now remember, Jesus had just been previously speaking about what? The lamp. And allowing the lamp of the truth to illuminate the soul. And as soon after Jesus said this, here comes this Pharisee and says, Lord, would you dine with me? A Pharisee invites Jesus for a meal. And the first question you have to ask is, why? Why would he do this? Is because he just wanted to be friendly? I doubt it. Remember those Pharisees and religious leaders who had come down from Jerusalem? Well, they were still there. And so their intent was very different than just the meal. You see, their true, true intent, and we see that coming out later, was to catch Jesus out. But by God's sovereignty, Jesus was about to teach them a great lesson. God knew what was about to happen, you see. So who was at this meal? Important that you know. There were two groups there. The Pharisees, they were the teachers of the law. The religious laws. They taught in the synagogues. And then we have the scribes there too. Or the lawyers. And they were the ones who worked with the religious law. They worked out which parts to keep and how to keep them. And then they added quite a few of their own too. Just to clarify for people. So they were the scribes, or the lawyers, your Bible might say lawyers. And so there this group is, and they invite Jesus to sit down with them at this meal. And then Jesus does the first horrific thing. He reclines at the table. Remember, they didn't sit like us. He reclined at the table, and he didn't wash his hands. He didn't go through the whole ceremonial cleansing. Now, you have to understand that because you didn't look shocked at that either. Right, so I'll explain a little bit about the ceremonial cleansing. You see, the Pharisees and the lawyers, the scribes, had worked out this whole ritualistic cleansing that you had to go through. And it took quite a while. And so the way it worked is they they would hold their fingers up like this, right? Deliberately. And someone would come and pour water over their hands. And you had to make sure that the water ran down your fingers and then dripped off the wrist at the bottom here and that you didn't have any dirt that was left in the palm of your hands. It must all drip off at the wrist. They were very specific about that. So they'd hold their fingers up like this. And then to make sure that there was no more dirt on their palms, they would rub, rub their palms together or rub it on, or on, even on a different part of their body, which didn't kind of make sense to me. But... They used to just rub their hands together to make sure there was no more dirt, all right? So it's all the loose bits off. And then they'd hold their hands down, fingers down, and the water would get poured on their fingers, on their hands again, so that all the dirt would then drain away completely. So we've got this and this, and they used to go through there. And then there was a washing of pots, and there was a washing of pitchers with water, and there was copper vessels that had to be washed ceremonially, Even the reclining couches had to be washed ceremonially. It's a big hoo-ha. Mark just describes this in Mark chapter 7, verses 3 to 4. Remember, Mark is writing to a Gentile audience. They don't know about Jewish customs. And so he says to them, they come from the marketplace, these Jews, and then they wash the defilement away through various ceremonies. And they also wash their cups, their pitchers, their copper vessels and their couches. So, Mark explains this in uh, when he speaks to his Gentile audience. And so, here Jesus comes in, he reclines at the, on the couch, and he hasn't washed his hands. Shock, horror. Was this commanded in Scripture? Definitely not, you see. These were extra-biblical laws that had supplanted Scripture itself. And they've become the highest religious authority in Judaism. Their rules had become more important than the actual commands in Scripture. So, that's not a good start of the meal, is it? Well, Jesus is going to teach them a lesson through this because He didn't do it by accident. He did it very deliberately because Jesus never did anything by accident. And so, here's the lesson Jesus taught them, verses 39 to 52 in your text. Jesus knew what this Pharisee was thinking. You see, nothing had been said yet. Jesus knew what he was thinking because he is the all-knowing saviour as well. And so he points out the root cause of their sin to them. And then he turns to specific symptoms that he would point out to them. And so, what was the root cause of their sin? Jesus says to them, you've got filthy hearts. You've got filthy hearts. And he wants to use this picture that they've had in front of them of this cleansing ritual which they've just been through. And he wants to show them, in contrast to this cleansing ritual, you've got filthy hearts. You might have washed your hands, but your hearts are still filthy. And so he says to them, you clean the outside of the cup or the dish, but not inside where it really matters. You don't get that either? Okay. I thought I might illustrate this one because I didn't see suitable shock. What's Jesus saying? You see this dish here? It's clean. Even my wife says it's clean. I cleaned it and I polished it up. Alright? It's clean. Does anyone here love chocolate? Anyone? Who said that? Marty, come along please. Marty, come and get some chocolate from me. Please come. And do you mind if I unwrap it? I need to unwrap this. My hands are beautiful. Yeah, do you like chocolate, Marty? Okay, I'm going to put this in here and then I'd like you to have the chocolate. Do you want to tell us what that's like? Have a whiff. Why not, Marty? it's It's filthy in here. What do you mean? It's only worm tea and cow manure. It looks like it. You don't want the chocolate? No. Why not? Because it's been tainted. I'd say so. Anyone else want this chocolate? <laughs> it's beautiful, look! <laughs> Do you see what Jesus is saying? Thanks, Marty. Oh, here's the chocolate, Marty. Please, next time. Here you go. Do you see what Jesus is saying? The outside's clean, but the inside's filthy. Who'd want to eat out of that fish? I wouldn't, I know what's in there. Who in your right mind would do that? And yet spiritually, says Jesus to these Pharisees, that's what your, your lives are like. All clean on the outside, all religious, keeping all the rules and even more rules. And yet... On the inside, it's a whole different story. When people see you from the outside, they see squeaky clean, religious person. And that's what people see. But on the inside, where people can't see, you're filthy. In actual fact, you're filled with robbery and wickedness, says Jesus. Now remember, he's the guest at this meal. It's going down well, is it? And how were they filled with robbery and wickedness? Well, we know if we read elsewhere in the New Testament, the Pharisees were giving alms to the poor. How were they doing that? Publicly, with great big ceremony. They were putting big bags of money, but nearly trumpets going. They were praying publicly. They even had people announcing when they would pray, and then they would stand on the street corners and pray loudly so that everyone could hear. What else did they do? They would fast publicly with great show, pouring great buckets of ash over them, sitting in their oldest clothes on street corners that everyone could see. you see? Very religious on the outside, but on the inside, a very, very different story. Their hearts were very far away from God. And Jesus could see into those hearts, and into those Pharisees who were sitting around them, and into those scribes who were sitting around them, and He could see filth. And so he says to them, your hearts are far from God. You've got filthy hearts. And therefore he says, you foolish ones. Now is there name calling over here? Because name calling isn't allowed, you see, Matthew 5.22. No, he wasn't name calling them. He was telling the truth. You are foolish ones, he says. He could see their hearts, you see. He could see what the Creator could see. That on the outside, the same Creator who made them on the outside could see them on the inside because the same Creator created the inside too. And isn't Jesus the Creator? He was the Word right at the beginning. He could see their hearts. And so they might be fooling people, but they weren't fooling God. And so Jesus gives them a solution. I can see they would have been fairly quiet at the table now. He says the solution is, give that which is within as your first charity, or arms, your scripture might say. And then all things will be clean for you. In other words, give God a faithful heart and a will submitted to Him as your first offering, and then do your practical acts of righteousness. And that will then please God, and they will be clean before Him. Do you see what he's saying? Your heart needs to be right before God, and then you do your practical deeds of righteousness. Because if your heart is right, your deeds will be clean. But not the other way around. You see, this isn't a new theme. We find this theme running right through Scripture. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 16 to 17. I want to read it to you. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 16 to 17. This is what it says. Listen to this theme way back. And the Pharisees knew this very well. They knew the book of Isaiah by heart. This is what it says, Isaiah 1.16. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean, says the Lord. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. What's he talking about there? The heart, you see. And then learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. It's the heart first, then the deeds. And the Pharisees and the scribes knew this really well. What about you and I before we start making them look bad? What about you and I? What does your life look like outside compared to inside? What does my life look like? And the Lord's been speaking to me through this passage so hard this week. Yes, on the outside people see me going off to Bible studies. I've got a big Bible. Two, they see me going off to church services every single Sunday. They see me being helpful in the community. And we should be doing these things. But my heart tells quite another story. My heart might be far away from God. My will might not be submitted to Him. You see, the truth here is, for you and me, the One who made the outside, made the inside too. He can see us. What can we hide from God? And yes, people might see one picture on the outside, the dish might be clean on the outside, but God can see what people can't see on the inside. That's what Jesus is saying to them. And therefore He's saying, give your submitted heart to God first, as your first offering, and then whatever you do for people will be God glorified. Do you get that? Your life needs to be clean from the inside out not from the outside in. This was a hard one for me this week. Some old famous guy said this, the way to clean up a dirty vocabulary is not to brush your teeth, but to cleanse your heart. That makes a point. And so Jesus says to them, your outside is is clean, the inside is dirty, you've got filthy hearts, and if that wasn't enough, and if Jesus always does, he intensifies. He says, if you thought that wasn't clear, I will make it clearer for you. Because he could see their heart. And now it's gloves off. And if they thought gloves off now, it was coming. Jesus pronounces three woes on the Pharisees. And you need to understand what woes were. A woe was a pronouncement. It was an announcement of condemnation in the first place but sorrow at the same time. You see, our God has always got justice and mercy mixed. He's the God of justice, but He's also a God of mercy. And so here, Jesus pronounces these woes of judgment and sorrow on the Pharisees. And what are they? Here are the specifics He points to. He says, you Pharisees, you love the law instead of love. You love your laws more than you love God." In other words, you've got wrong priorities. You see, these Pharisees were paying tithes, verse 42, of even the smallest income. They They were tithing, and I spoke about this last time. Even the smallest little herbs in their garden, they were taking a tenth of that money that they got from selling those herbs, and they were tithing that to the Lord, so that their zeal for the Lord could be seen by men. But at the same time they were disregarding the larger important issues of justice and love for God. They weren't touching those. And as we put it today, they were majoring on the minors. you get that? They were majoring on the minor things, the less important things, and the minor things they were making big. That was the Pharisees. What about you and I? Those pet laws and rules that you keep hammering on type of music we should be singing in churches. The version that you should be using or not using. What we should be calling Jesus, Yeshua or Jesus, that can become the same thing. I want to ask you the bigger questions this morning. How is your daily relationship with Jesus? How are you showing others the love of God? How are you looking after the weak, the sick, the lonely? Are you sharing the gospel message with anyone, one person? You see, those are the bigger issues. We need to climb off the minors and major on the majors. The second thing they were doing was, says Jesus, they were showing pride instead of piety. Look at verse 43. Verse 43, yes. What were they doing here? Jesus says you love the best seats in the synagogues. When they walked into the synagogues, there was one seat right in the middle, and that is where the most important person usually sat, and it was usually the Pharisees. They would sit there. Why? Because they could be seen, firstly, and also they could see everything that was happening. But it was the most important seat in the synagogue. And they loved these seats. They would fight for those seats. Money would be exchanged for those seats. And also, says Jesus, you like the respectful greetings in the marketplaces, We've spoken about this before. When they met in the marketplaces, there would be these over-the-top greetings. The handshakes, the prayers, the touching of the forehead and the beard. And this would be done over and over. And the more important the person, the more times you would repeat this greeting before you kind of went on your business. Do you see these guys? In the marketplaces, going through all the show and ceremony because they wanted to be seen by people. Why? Because their reputation was at stake, you see. And Jesus says, your reputation is just before people. You want to be recognized by people. But what's more important is your character before God. Someone has said, reputation is what people think we are. Character is what God knows we are. I'm going to repeat that. It is vitally important. And this verse, this really spoke to me this week too. Reputation is what people think you are. Character is what God knows you are. you get the difference? How can we spend so much time on our reputation? The third thing Jesus points out to these Pharisees is the third woe. He says, woe on you because you have become hindrances in, instead of helping people. You are harming instead of helping. What does he mean by that? Well, you see, he uses this whole imagery in verse 44 of These um, tombstones, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like graves which are not seen, and the men who walk over them are not aware of them. So how does that work? You see, in Jerusalem and in other places, in Israel, they would have tombstones, and after a while some of these tombstones would fall over, or they would bury people just in the ground and then put a flat tombstone on the earth. But what they would do is they would whitewash them. Because at certain times of the year, and that was quite often, vast crowds would descend on Jerusalem with caravans and all kinds of things. And then there would be many people. And one of the laws in the Old Testament, Numbers 19 verse 16, said that you mustn't defile yourself ceremonially by touching a grave or anything dead. And so they would whitewash these gravestones. So that the people wouldn't accidentally step on them and so defile themselves ceremonially. Now, having said that, Jesus says, you are like these whitewashed tombstones. What does he mean? You see, these Pharisees had hidden the tombstones of their lives, which was covering death and decay, by their hypocrisy, by outward righteousness, by their slanted teaching, covering their own actions, So the people were defiling themselves in two ways. Defiling themselves by following what the Pharisees were teaching. In other words, all these extra rules and regulations make you a good person. So people were defiling themselves by following the Pharisees. They looked good, didn't they, on the outside. So we'll follow them. They look religious. And also the people were defiling themselves by what the Pharisees were not teaching. It was hidden. The Pharisees were not teaching real obedience to God that starts from the heart. And so the the whole nation was defiling themselves. And here the Pharisees are at this table concerned about ritual uncleanness, but their greed, their pride and their wickedness is contaminating the whole nation that they are supposed to be leading. Do you see why Jesus calls a woe on them? This is serious. Many people today are living their lives thinking they are okay with God. You might be one of those. After simply having just said a sinner's prayer. Because that's what they were taught. And by receiving no deeper teaching, or by even receiving false teaching, they go through life and they think they are A for okay. They don't know any better. Woe to those teachers who taught them. There will be damnation on their heads too. And if you're one of those who's been deluded, and you've suddenly realised there's more to Scripture than what I've been taught, then I pray that you would investigate and come to a knowledge of the truth and live a life which is worthy of Jesus Christ. I wonder how this dinners going at this stage. Jesus just brought these woes. And I can nearly see the Pharisees, they'd be nearly going white already from anger. But it gets better. You see the lawyers, the scribes are sitting there. These Pharisees are really getting it, man, from Jesus. But their noses are actually put out of joints because something is stirring in their consciences, you see. One of them gets up and says, verse 45, Look at what he says. Then one of the lawyers answered and said to Jesus, Teacher, by saying these things, you reproach us also. Jesus, by insulting them, you are really insulting us. Boo hoo! I love Jesus' response. He doesn't go soft on them. He increases the judgmental woes on the scribes. And I'm going to speak about this God of judgment. You see, it doesn't get better for them. It gets worse because it intensifies once again. Verse 46, Jesus says, And you scribes, you thought you were getting off this, by the way. No, you are preaching instead of practicing. You make up all these laws, but all you're doing is you're laying extra burdens on people. They've already got the commands to keep. And now you're adding, and there were many, many thousands of laws that these poor Jews now had to keep as well. And who was thinking up all these laws? These people, the scribes. They were the ones. And then the second thing they were doing is, they weren't helping the people to carry these extra burdens. And the third thing they were doing is, they were trying to find ways of not keeping these laws themselves. And they were known for it. Even today, you'll find some of this around. If You go to Israel... You will see some of the the real strict Jews on the Sabbath. They're not supposed to do any work, so and I've mentioned this before, they'll ride on skateboards, because that's not walking, so therefore it's not working. They'll find ways around, you see. Electronic switches with timers, fantastic, because I don't need to work. I can set a timer on a previous day and it'll just go off and do my meal, everything. Done. I'm not working. You see? You see the heart? Jesus is saying, you do not even help in carrying the burden. Much more than that, you are trying to get around these laws. Before we point too many fingers, what about you and I? Don't we do that as parents sometimes? I don't want you to do this or that, but when they're not looking, I'm doing things. Not practicing what I'm preaching, you see. So, Jesus says, you preach instead of practice. You lay burdens on people. The second thing He says to these um, scribes is, you keep to rituals instead of repentance. That's what God wants to see. He doesn't want to see your rituals. He wants to see your heart, repentance. What were they doing? You see, verse 47 to 51 describes how these scribes were constantly rebuilding and redecorating the tombs of the prophets. And if you go to Israel, all over the place, you will find these tombs that are set up, and tombstones set up to the prophets who have gone before in the Old Testament. And one of the jobs these scribes had was to every year make sure these things were neat, and they'd even redecorate them and rebuild these tombstones of the prophets. Now, it doesn't sound too bad, does it, remembering these people? You see, but here's the problem. What they were doing is, while they were doing this, they were publicly saying, oh, if we'd been living in the time of our forefathers, we would not have helped to have killed these prophets. Because many of these prophets were killed by their very own people. Jeremiah, for instance, I was listening to this last week. He was put into a pit, in a dark, muddy pit with no food and left there to starve. Because he told his people to turn back to God. Because judgment was coming on them. Elisha, what did Elijah? He was fleeing from his very own people, from Ahab and Jezebel for his life, because he was trying to bring them back to the Lord. So it was their very own people killing the prophets. And Jesus says, You scribes, while you are putting adorning all these um tombs of the prophets, you are publicly maintaining. You wouldn't have done it if you were there. You see what Jesus is saying? And that's not all they were doing. They were also not regulating their own lives by these very same teachings that the prophets had been teaching. And And by doing that, they were being implicated like their forefathers. And that's why Jesus condemns them. Not just that, They were finishing what their forefathers had started. They were already plotting to kill Jesus. They were already plotting to kill the great prophet, as John 11 calls Jesus. How self-righteous, how hypocritical these scribes are. And so Jesus says this woe over them. And therefore, he says in verse 49, look at what he says to them. And this was the woe, the actual woe, the judgment on them. He says this, Therefore, God in His wisdom has already declared in the past that you very scribes and you Pharisees will persecute and kill the prophets and the apostles He sends to you. Weren't they already planning to do that with Jesus? And then looking a little bit ahead, what they couldn't see yet, but these very same religious leaders would be involved in the death of James. James the Apostle was stabbed to death in the New Testament church. Peter later was crucified upside down for his faith. John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos for his faith. And these religious leaders were behind it. And so this prophecy comes true. And so they therefore join their forefathers in the guilt, you see. And the result, says Jesus... Is judgment. Look at this, he says, because it has implication on you and I too, and I want you to look at this. He says, the blood of the prophets, since the foundation of the earth, will be laid as a charge, legal language they could understand, the blood will be laid as a charge against you lawyers, you scribes. The blood of all the prophets in all history will be laid against you one day, says Jesus. Now that's quite a charge. From righteous Abel, and you know who Abel was. Remember in your church history, uh, sorry, in your um, Christian history, Genesis chapter four, verse eight. He was the one who was killed by his brother Cain for making a right offering before the Lord. And by implication, now these scribes are implicated with Cain in his killing. Do you see that? To the last Old Testament prophet listed in Second Chronicles the last book in the Jewish Hebrew Bible. Who was that? Zechariah, the prophet, the son of Berechiah, who was stoned in the courtyard of the temple. Literally between the altar and the house of God, on holy ground, he was killed by the religious leaders. Jesus says, you will stand in judgment for his death too. I bet he had the attention now. And then he says, Matthew chapter 23, which is the parallel passage to this. Listen to what he says. This is the, voice, the, 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 the judgment on them. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. Remember yes, the last time, the measuring basket, linking it back to our passage. He says, fill up the measuring basket of your judgment. Fill it up. You serpents. You brood of vipers. How can you escape the condemnation of How? He's sitting with them at dinner. It's no wonder that they want to kill him. I just want to, in brackets here, just put this question to you. Is it fair to punish this generation for the sins of a past generation? You think? Is it? What does the Bible say? The biblical answer is, that, it's a responsibi- that the responsibility increases with the years. Why? Because every generation is supposed to learn from the previous generations and not make the same mistakes. So in a way, yes. And that's the lesson Israel had to learn right through the Old Testament. And they didn't. And that's the lesson you and I are supposed to learn. But we don't, because we've got all this history And what do we do every week? We still go out and sin, don't we? The third woe that Jesus brings, and the last one on these scribes, is this this one. You have ignorance instead of insight, verse 52. In other words, he says, you've taken away the key of knowledge from these people. Who were these religious leaders? They were the ones who were supposed to open up God's word to the people and explain it to them. And instead, they were taking away the key of knowledge from these people. How? By pointing away from Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Why? Because he was the key to the kingdom. He was the key to eternal life. Luke chapter 24 verse 44 to 48 speaks about he was the just one. He has to suffer. Here to die so that sins would be forgiven. And these Pharisees and scribes were pointing away from this Messiah. And so they were taking away the kingdom, the key of the kingdom from the people. Plus, they were not applying this themselves. They were denying Jesus Christ. They were saying He was working with Satan. You see what they're doing? And then they were hindering those who did want the knowledge of the kingdom. People wanted to know how to follow Jesus Christ and they were instead giving these people rules and regulations saying, you follow that. You see, they were taking away the kingdom from them and the key to it. Just turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 23. Are you still tracking with me? Matthew chapter 23. This is what it says. If you want to really clearly hear what they were doing, Matthew explains it in the parallel passage. Matthew 23, verses 13 to 15. This is what he says about the the scribes and the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! This is Jesus speaking to them. For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. And when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. you see why Jesus condemns them? It's not a new complaint. Back in Malachi chapter 2, verse 8, the Lord says about the priests in Israel, He says this, You have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. Not a new thing. It was around. What about the modern application today? How does this apply to you and I? Well, you just need to switch on your TV and listen to what some of those these modern preachers are saying now. And instead of a true study of the Scriptures, instead of getting to grips with the text, what are they doing? They're having what I call an ignorance exchange. I'll tell you how little I know in as many words as possible about Scripture. True? You listen to the content of what they're saying. Nothing over and over. Or they're having feel-good sessions for the people sitting in front of them. They are. Listen to what they're saying. They're saying, if you do this, this and this, God will bless your life. And you won't know what God is doing. He will bless you right out of your socks. You'll have more than you know what to do with Feel-good sessions. But they're not telling them about sin, the way to salvation. Or they're they're having marketing sessions for their religious products. You listen to the TV, switch it on. You see, they're hindering people from entering the kingdom of God in very much the same way as what these scribes were doing. They're causing people to disobey. Now, if you thought they were guilty, I'm going to bring it back to you and I, and then I'm finished with this passage. What about you and I? How do we do this as well? I wonder, are you hindering people from entering the kingdom because they see your disobedience? They know you're a believer, and yet... They see you disobeying God deliberately. You're hindering people from entering the kingdom. Or maybe you're hovering around the message all the time and then you never commit to it. You're always here, you're always listening, but you never commit to it. And people know you're a Christian, but you're not kind of fully committed to it. It's hindering people. Because if you don't believe, why should they? You see, we are hindering they are taking away the kingdom, the key to the kingdom. It's little wonder that this passage ends with verses 53 to 54. These people couldn't wait to catch Jesus out. And so what they do is, straight from that meal, they ply Jesus with religious question after another, one after the other, and they want Jesus to make just one mistake. And then they can take him on. And they can take it. But he doesn't. Because he is the Messiah. He knows scripture perfectly because the word comes from him. And this leads directly to the crucifixion. From here on, it just intensifies and in the end, they kill Jesus because they bring trumped up charges against Jesus. They even let a a thief go, a murderer go. But Jesus, the innocent one, they crucify you see where anger and revenge gets them? And they bring true this prophecy that Jesus brings against them. I want to bring you four bits of application this morning. I'm, I'm going to ask you four simple questions. I'm not going to say much about them. I promise. But listen. First question is this. Is there a difference between the life you display on the outside and what is actually happening inside? I put my hand up. God has convicted me this week on aspects on my life. Is your hand up with mine? Are you different on the outside than what you are on the inside? You see, if you are, it's called hypocrisy. And that's what Jesus was denouncing. Second one. Do you live by what you preach? Or do you just preach? In other words, do what I say, not what I do. That's called double standards. Another word for that is called hypocrisy. J.C. Ryle, a famous dead guy, said this. A man's life is the best proof of a man's opinions. Show me a man's life, I'll tell you his opinions. What does your life say about what you believe? Third question is, Do you major on the minors and minor on the majors when it comes to your Christian life? Are you concentrating your energies on what is important or are you getting distracted by what is not important? And fourthly, does your life draw people to Christ or drive them from Him? How does that work? Through my actions, and more so, through my reactions. Do people see Christ? Are they drawn to Him? Or are they pushed away? Because they see how I live my life. Jesus brings judgment. But, I can't end there, He is a God of mercy. And so, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, we read this. Listen to the summary of what we've just been doing. And this is Jesus a very short while later, as He comes over the crest, and He sees Jerusalem in front of Him. This is what He says. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. Now, I can't see Jesus saying these words without tears streaming down His face. How often... I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Do you see mercy? Do you see it? And this morning Jesus Christ, mercy to you too. Yes, your life might have many of these things as mine does that we've just described here. But Jesus said to you, there is mercy in me. Find the mercy in me. I will forgive your sins. No sin is too great that my love cannot and will not forgive. But you need to come to me. I want to gather you to me. But will you come, says Jesus? Will you ask for forgiveness? This verse is one of the most hopeful verses in Scripture, found in Isaiah. Listen to it. This is Jesus' cry of mercy to you and I this morning. After all this passage of condemnation. This is what he says. And this is exactly what was available to these Pharisees and the scribes. Because it's written in Isaiah, their scriptures. This is what the Lord says. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel you shall be devoured by the sword. A God of judgment and mercy is available to you too. Let's pray. Lord our God these truths are hard for us to swallow because we see these things You've pointed out to in our lives. Lord, thank You that we know that You are not just the God of judgment, but that You are a God of mercy. And that we can come to You and find forgiveness in Jesus Christ if we would only come and profess our sins, confess them before You, and ask for forgiveness. You have promised that you will forgive. Lord, may we be a light to the nations by our obedience to you, by our close walk with you, by our taking your word seriously in our lives, by making important those things which should be important in our lives and in the way we interact with the community, and by doing away with those things that we badger on about, those things which are smaller and insignificant, Lord, forgive us, we pray. Make us lights which shine to this nation, to Wanganui, so that Jesus Christ will be glorified. Do your work through us as individuals and as a collective church. Do your work, we pray. Amen.